0: Welcome to the Behind the Bliss Podcast, where Rachel Autry brings weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. Today, my new friend Nikki Hardy is joining me for a conversation about how to live life when things kind of just fall apart. She's an author of Breathe Again, which is an incredible book for just about anyone in any season. Her book outlines seven key practices to making sure you are living your best life, most full and abundant, despite any circumstances you might be walking through. And yes, we do talk through all seven of those in today's episode. So if you're someone that asks themselves, what do I do when I get the bad news I'm dreading? Or how do I react when someone hurts me? Or why am I not happy even though I got that promotion or got the bonus or was able to get the car I always wanted? Well, hopefully you can leave this episode with a little bit more of a tangible reason, answers to these questions, and a few head nods along the way. Nikki shares with us her story through cancer. She has a brilliant accent and tons of wisdom and nuggets to share with us throughout today's episode. We both get pretty vulnerable about places we've been in our lives when we've asked the same questions, how we got through it, and what does life look like today, even though it's still far from perfect. So without further ado, let's jump on in to today's episode with Nikki Hardy. Well, hey, Nikki, super excited to have you on Behind the Bliss.
1: It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. You met Mary Scott at She Speaks, and Mary Scott had nothing but amazing and super fun things to say about you. So we were like, we have to pull her on the show.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. It was so lovely to meet her.
0: And you were at She Speaks because you recently wrote a book called Breathe Again, and it is out for the world. That's crazy. Can you believe it?
1: (laughs) No, I can't. I can't. I really can't. But it's very exciting. The most exciting thing is um, getting feedback from people and, you know, God's used it to encourage them and to help them practically. So that's the most exciting piece.
0: Well, I'm super pumped because, well, I feel like I've watched the trailer. I have been watching your Insta. I've been watching your videos on Facebook, all the fun things and just got my, um, my copy in yesterday so I'm just excited to dive into it in neat timing because I just finished another book about a week ago so you're next up on the block and I can't wait to start (laughs) reading well
1: now (laughs) that that we've chatted now that we've chatted you'll be able to you know my English accent will ring through your ears as you read
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll like, have my own audiobook version going in my head. Like, I can I can hear her say it now. Well, that's the cool thing is sometimes people send us advanced copies of their book because they want us to be well-versed with it before the interview. And, and I totally get that. But what's most fun for me is coming into an interview with some kind of knowledge for sure, but without reading the entire book or the book in entirety, so that then I can kind of get to know the heart behind it. And it makes reading the book that much more fun and engaging for me. Because I'm like, I know why she wrote that. Or this makes sense now. Or whatever. So I am excited to dive into today a little bit about the book and how it came to be. And Great. Yeah. Well, tell us. I can imagine. Well, first off, that readers don't know. Can you maybe give them a little bit about what your book Is about so that they can feel like they're tagging along in our combo.
1: Yes. So I never thought I would write a book, um, but really it's a practical roadmap for finding more of life when life hands you less. So my story is that, you know, as you can tell, I'm from the deep south of england (laughs) and my husband and i moved here with our three young kids 13 years ago to plant church and just before we'd moved um we lost my mum to aggressive lung cancer which was far too early she was only in her early 60s um but then after we'd moved here about six years later My sweet sister, Jo, was also diagnosed with the same thing. And again, hers was aggressive lung cancer, and both mom and Jo only lasted um, and survived about 14 months after their diagnosis. And you know, this was all on the heels of church planting and moving across the Atlantic and all those things. So it was a really difficult time. But then six weeks later, after losing Jo, I was diagnosed. And mine was wow. lung cancer like theirs. Mine was rectal cancer. And, you know, I've only just started being able to say that out loud on the air in public. <laughs> but as you can imagine, I felt like the heat seeking missile of death had locked in on me, that this oh, yeah. family missile was headed my way or more specifically, towards my rear end and <laughs> we had to tell the kids we had to you know we had to figure out about treatment and it was a really devastating time but at the same time I was convinced that my faith and my stiff upper lip were going to get me through and you know they did right. for a while and when you're diagnosed with cancer you're called a survivor right from the get-go, which I didn't know. I thought you had to kind of be through cancer and out the other side to be a survivor. But oh no, the mm-hmm. minute you get the diagnosis, you're a survivor. And so I was determined to survive, but eventually that's all I was doing, barely surviving. Um, and then I met people who called themselves thrivers, not survivors. And I was like, ooh, I want that. That's yeah, so fulfilled. Yeah. And it didn't negate the fact that, that life was hard, really hard and painful and exhausting and terrifying. But that what they were saying to me in that one word was, I'm jolly well going to find everything life has to offer me right where I am and not wait and put off living life to the full until this hard season is over. And so I set about how to figure out how to do that. And really, that's what Breathe Again, my book, is is about. It's that practical roadmap, because I think so often the world sells us a fast one that, you know, God's abundant life is off out in the future, waiting for us when life gets easier, because we think it looks Facebook fabulous. And it's just not. So that's why I wrote Breathe Again. It's the book that I needed when I was in the middle of treatment.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yes. I mean, I feel like I'm just now learning to call the world's bluff and exactly what you're saying is they're like, well, Mm. life will get amazing as soon as you overcome fill in the blank. And I'm like, well, there's always going to be something to overcome because we are overcomers. So if we don't have anything to overcome, then I, that's kind of my measuring stick for like, something's not right here. Like I, we, we say in our house, opposition is attraction to us. Like if there's something that we feel like is opposing, then there is, we are on the straight and narrow path. So I, yes, I, I'm like learning now to call the world's bluff and be like, I, I don't know if I want to believe that. Like as, as glamorous and like flirty, I want to get with it. I also realize that like, that's not sustaining. And if that's true, then practically we'll never get to that good and abundant life that we're promised in John ten ten. you know, like exactly. it'll be impossible. Exactly. And I think even when
1: life isn't falling apart or devastatingly difficult, you know, the busyness of life, um, all sorts of things. We think, well, if I can just yeah. get my next promotion, you know, find Mr. Wright, whatever it is, then we think if I can just, or when this happens, And we forget to dig in and find what God has to offer us right now. And the world tells us that an abundant life looks like happy, skippy, healthy, wealthy, you know, beautiful children skipping around and reading books in tree houses and houses. yes. (laughs) Yes, and actually that's not what I think he's saying. I think it's about intimacy and connection and laughter and joy and peace and comfort no matter what's going on in your life.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so good. Oh, so good. I Well, recently, um, I feel like this has been a message that has been screamed at. Well, the opposite of what you're standing up for mm-hmm. has been almost preached at my generation. Like, come on, guys, get with it. Love Jesus. All these things will start to fall in place. And I'm kind of here sitting here cringing like, oh, no, because it can't be promised because I feel like I'm most loved and can feel the Lord's love the strongest and the most present in my life when I am dependent on him. When I Mm -hmm. am in a situation or a season, I say, there is no way Rachel can get herself through this. Like I have to call upon the Lord. And then there's seasons where I almost feel like I succeed and I hit this high and I am quote unquote success to the world. And then I fall really quickly. And that again is love saying like, I can't put my – security or my expectations in my husband like he will fail me but praise god because he won't Mm. and i yeah i i'm just so grateful when you find this people you agree with because you're like i'm not crazy you are (laughs) not crazy you're not crazy (laughs) no because at the same time sometimes this message can be harder to hear right i mean like like, i think anyone would want to be preached that you love jesus everything falls into place your savings account Mm. quadruples in size and you get the car you want like Anyone would want that message. I think it's just harder to hear, harder to say out loud that, like, and even if not, God is still good.
1: Exactly, exactly, and I, I once heard um, a chap called um, Robert Madu, and I quote him in the book, you know, he was saying, Facebook, Facebook, tell me how my life should look, Instagram, Instagram, tell me who I really am, and it's like, gosh, we do, we look to these things, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or our bank account, to get our identity, to get our security, to get our um, confirmation that God loves us, that he has hasn't left us, that he's not angry with us. Mm-hmm. So when our world falls apart, which I hate to say this, but if you've got a pulse, you are going to go through some hard times, yeah. and, you know, so when it does fall apart, we blame it on God. You're, oh, he's not, you know. He's he's left me and he's helping more spiritual people who don't scream at their kids on the way to church or, you know, who annotate their Bible or these kind of things. Or if only I could learn what he's trying to teach me, then everything will be OK. Um, and I just don't think it works like that.
0: Yeah, no. And you have kind of this mantra or this quote that says life doesn't have to be pain free to be full. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it's so true. Like even in the hardest seasons, like there is there is purpose to the pain. I hate saying it. It's true, but at the same time like there is abundance inside of that pl- inside of that place and inside of that purpose. So, how does it kind of go hand in hand? That fun mantra, but at the same time this idea of thriving instead of just surviving. Well, I
1: think they epitomize one another. So, you know, when we when we understand and we really believe that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full, that there can be fullness and um abundance, everything that God has for us, right where we are in the midst of the pain, then I think when we realize that we can thrive and not just survive. But if we really hold on to the mm-hmm. belief that in order for life to be full and abundant, it has to be pain-free, then I think we're only gonna stay in this survival mode, feeling like we're running to stand still, like we we can't catch a breath when something happens because we just think it's going to be off in the future somewhere, in easier tomorrows when there's rainbows and butterflies back in my life.
0: And don't you feel too like in those hard seasons, I almost hear more clearly from the Lord and I feel the Spirit's presence in my life because I am desperate for it, which is beautiful. And in those everyday moments, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also in the easy times, I mean, we say around here that there's manna for every day. Like there's manna brought down for you, for today. There's no reason to save it for tomorrow. It'll expire. Like you can't skip today Mm -hmm. because you'll get hungry tomorrow, like that kind of thing. I mean, it's just for today. And in those moments that you are maybe holding out quote unquote for, you know, six months from now when you graduate or that moment that you get the promotion and Mr. Right and all the things we were talking about earlier, you're kind of missing today's mana because you're forgetting to get down and pick it up. And, exactly. and, and you're know, just—I don't know—I just feel like we're missing out on on so much goodness. And there's a lesson for me to know today that I won't know tomorrow. So like, I don't want to leave today without knowing what it was, or knowing a new character of the Lord, or who I am inside of Him. And mm-hmm. I don't know—I—I I think that that just clicked for me. Like, I miss those moments when I'm so ready to get on to the next have you too? Sometimes, like I don't know if you do this. Sometimes I like look back on old pictures and I'll get really nostalgic and almost miss that time, no matter how ugly mm. it was. Oh yeah, like, our first year of marriage was interesting, <laughs> and we had this one season in this tiny house. It was literally six hundred square feet, and we were each other's only friend. And I was taking six hours of credit for classes to graduate college. I mean, just everything was just hitting the fan at once. And I still look back, though, on those pictures and think, oh, what I would do to go back, you know, and just to relive a few days. And in that one moment, I was like, I can't wait till I'm in Birmingham, Alabama and doing all these things. And so it's just funny, Mm -hmm. like, keep tabs with yourself and say, you know, I was, I, I mean, I am what I where I wanted to be six months ago. So I will be grateful today, no matter what today looks like. I don't know. I'm just, I'm feeling so inspired already. And we're 14 minutes. in. I need job
1: <laughs> well, I think what you're saying <laughs> is so true. And I think um, we can't appreciate what God is giving us today, if we're angry at him, or if we believe he's angry at us, or he's left us. And one of the things I do in Breathe Again, and I needed to do this more than anyone, which is why it's in there, is to deal with the rubbish we believe when life falls apart. You know, mm-hmm. There's lies about ourselves, yeah. there's lies about God, um, and we have to deal with that and pull up those lies and replace them then with truth about who we are, about whose we are, and the nature and character of God before we can start laying the foundation these building blocks of thriving. It's like, let's deal with the rubbish. Let's stop thinking that he's angry or that, our, you know, one of the lies we believe about ourselves is that, you know, it's my fault. If, if I had just done this differently or whatever, let's deal with that. And then we can go through what I've laid out in the book are the seven practices to thriving and to finding more of God in the midst of it. But we have to deal with the rubbish. Otherwise, it's like we're so focused on the lies and the nonsense we believe that we just can't see the manner that's laid out
0: before us. Yeah. So would you unpack the seven practical ways to kind of grasp what Jesus has for us in full life?
1: Of course, of course. And I, I call them practices, not tools. I started off calling them tools, and I sometimes slip into that. But I switched because... For me, tools gave the impression that like a hammer or a saw, you know, a hammer, you can hit the nail and fix something. And it's a one and done deal. But I thought with these things, Mm -hmm. these are practices that, you know, yes, I'm through cancer, but I use this every day. (laughs) I'm like, what would I say to myself today in this situation? And so it's a practice in the same way with yoga. We kind of go in and we think about, well, where am I now? What do I need today? How can I move forward from the position I'm in? That kind of thing. So that's why I call them practices, um, not tools. But yes, there are seven of them. And we start with um, choose brave. The fact that we don't need to be brave. We don't need to, you know, brave isn't something that we are by nature of our gene pool, it's not something that um, we can be, it is something that we choose. And, um, and it doesn't have to be big, it just needs to be intentional. And, you know, for me, at times, that was mustering up courage to tell our children about my cancer, or um, wait for Scan results or whatever. But, you know, for other people, because this book is just not just for cancer survivors, I share all sorts of different people's stories in it. But if you're struggling with depression, getting out of bed is a really brave choice. You know, if you're in a situation at work where your boss is a complete jerk, standing up for yourself in that situation is a really brave choice. Um, You know, Stepping away from something you love is a brave choice. And so I share a bit of my story. In each chapter, I share a bit of my story, a bit of another thriver's story and an often forgotten woman of the Bible. So that's the first one, choose brave. And I think I put it first because trusting God can be a brave choice. And so I talk about trusting God and how he's got impeccable credentials. I don't know about you, But I wouldn't trust a car mechanic or a plumber without checking out they can do what they say they're going to do. So we can check out God's credentials. And that's the first step in this five-step plan that I created for myself to trust God when life was hard and I didn't feel like trusting him. Um, So that's um, practice number two, trust God. And then I talk about finding community and how thriving as a team sport, because despite the fact I'm a seven on the Enneagram and I'm an extrovert who's never met a silence she can't fill, when (laughs) I was diagnosed, I hunkered down and I did not want to be part of the cancer community. It was fear it was arrogance. It was denial, and I I go there in the book. I lay it all out. I was like, no, I've got this. I, you know, my world has shattered. I've got enough people mm-hmm. in my life. I I just can't be the glue in somebody else's life. And what if these people, you know, in the cancer community? died. I've had got enough grief in my life. I don't want to get close to be. I mean, it was terrible. But what I learned was that thriving is a team sport. And I needed the people around me, but I also needed community who could offer empathy and not just sympathy. People who understood exactly what I was doing. So because they'd yeah. been there. And then I the um the next one is be vulnerable because heck. Even stiff upper lips need chapstick. You know, <laughs> we. There's yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> letting people in. Um, and there's a depth and an intimacy when we let both God in and are vulnerable with Him and, you know, lament like a good psalmist um, and then the people around us. Um, then I talk about embracing the journey. And that's every single bit of it the detours, the diversions, the dead ends. You know, I'm. I was a bit afraid of the kind of woo-woo, embrace the journey, kind of, you know, you can feel the sand underneath Mm -hmm. your feet and everything will be okay, kind of Kumbaya feel of that. (laughs) But I discovered that I spent (laughs) so long longing for the past or hoping for the future that, like you were saying, I wasn't looking at today. And Jesus is, I am. He's not Just I will be or I was. He is I am. He's present in the moment. So how can we embrace where we are in the moment? And then I share about practicing gratitude. And I share the story of a woman called Kristen. Each chapter has a, a story of a friend of mine who has gone through or lives with terribly difficult and painful things. But Kristen in practice gratitude chapter is a triple amputee. She lost both hands and uh, one leg, one foot and half of her remaining foot after septic shock. And she talks about flipping the script, about how when we need to give thanks in all things, a great tool for that is not to say um, I have to, but I get to. So she says I get to do laundry for my children, I've figured out how to use my hands, I have a washing machine that, you know, has fresh water, I have children with enough clothes, all these kind of things. And one of the things I learned from my journey was that we don't need to see things differently in order to be grateful, but uh, be grateful in order to see things differently. So it starts with gratitude. And then finally, reaching out and, um, and helping other people. And again, it doesn't need to be big, but when we offer small acts of kindness, it can fill us up disproportionately. And I used to think, well, I can't help anyone else because it needs to be some big or singing or dancing act of generosity. Um, and it felt like it was gonna be costly. So there's this myth of costly kindness um, and I think mm-hmm. that's it is a myth. Um, so those are, are the seven practices. Choose brave, trust God, find community, be vulnerable, embrace the journey, practice gratitude and reach out. And at the end of the book, I give um, Ed people the opportunity to be able to download a Thrivers Manifesto, which goes through each one of those. And it's like a rally cry for for Thrivers
0: yeah. Oh gosh. This is what I love about the book because those are just for listeners that are listening interested, those are different chapters of the book. And then there's kind of an intro and then there's a closing. But at the end of each chapter, there seems to almost be like a devotional or some questions if a certain chapter piqued your interest and you think, um, gosh, I really need to dive in deeper into this, or wow, that really convicted me. There's some questions and then there's a prayer and It just seems very well-rounded. It's less like, here's your information. It almost feels like, hey, here's a shovel. Let me teach you how to dig. And then you can dig your own hole. You know what I mean? I love that. (laughs) Which I so appreciate. Well,
1: what what I wanted to create was something where people um, would finish the book and their life had changed. Not they finished the book and they had... um, good intentions to put some things into practice, that as they read the book, as they prayed the prayers, as they went through the questions, that they would encounter God and he would do the changing. You know, it's so much more exciting when we allow God in and he's the one that does the transformation, as opposed to us kind of reading a book, putting it down and thinking, that was really great. I must change. I'll try and do that. What if... We allowed him in, we encountered God, he did the changing, and we put the book down thrivers, not survivors changed. It would that would be my greatest prayer. Yeah.
0: I love it. And and your your life can change without your circumstance changing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this book is about is let's say you get to the end of the book and your circumstance hasn't changed, or maybe it's progressed or digressed, then even still you have at least some some practices that you can put into play in your life to then be gratitude and or be grateful in everything and to find people to rally around you and all these practices that are really are going to make whatever situation whether it has gotten worse or has gotten better and um, your situation has changed for the good regardless you now have something in your life that's a little bit more steady than your circumstances in which I love and hopefully have been created as habits exactly too. So, One of the things too that I think you said earlier that I really loved um, and that I read on your Instagram and a few places that I just, I clung to was like how, I mean, it's got to be so hard to know something about God and believe it with your heart like He is good, but good things aren't happening. Or God is abundant, but your life does not seem abundant. So how can we almost make that switch and position our hearts to believe it when it might not be manifesting in real life mm,
1: that's such a great question because yes you know god is good even when life isn't and i think this kind of almost takes our conversation full circle where um god's character is not the same thing as our circumstances we we equate the two mm-hmm. so you know when terrible things happen we assume god is terrible when um you know we we assume he's mean um or he's angry or anything like that but um you know when we when we lean into him and we spend time with him and even we question him and we take our anger or and questions to him you know we find a god that isn't angry that actually meets us in our pain and suffering and ultimately knows what it is like to suffer and you know having died on the cross and has found a way for us to to live abundantly and so yes it's it's an ongoing process i wish i had a quick fix and i you know i say if you're looking for a book about you know be, faking it till you make it, about plastic fantastic, about, you know, seven steps, do these things and life will be all hunky-dory. Unfortunately, this isn't it. I don't think that book exists, but um, this is a way to find the goodness of God and the goodness he has for us, even when life isn't
0: good. Yes, so good. God is not based on our circumstances. And it means something so much different. I feel like once you've been through a circumstance, Mm -hmm. like I, my, part of my story is that I, um, my dad died when I was a junior in high school Mm -hmm. in this really random and Southern rock climbing accident, um, after he had already overcome kidney failure and, um, dialysis and transplant, like all this, and then lived amazing few years and then died in a rock climbing accident. So you think, what the heck, Mm -hmm. like what, I don't. It does not compute. I just remember thinking, like, does not compute. Like, I'm so confused. And I remember in those moments really coming to terms with what and who I believed God to be based on how I reacted, based based on how I grieved, based on even how I prayed um, or what I chose to do with my time and my grief. And I remember thinking, like, I I think I believed or I know I believed that God wasn't – concerned like this was a small part in a bigger picture which yes is true but because of it I almost felt insignificant and irrelevant to him and so it it determined a lot about my prayer walk like well I'm not going to pray about it. it doesn't really matter it'll get fixed out in the end anyways rather than like coming before the throne and casting all of my anxieties upon him because he cares for me and like quoting these scriptures that now have dictated my life where I'm like, you know what, I could have stubbed my toe, but I'm still gonna pray about it. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, now it's gotten to a point where I'm like, I have to. He's the only way. So I I mean, that is my own transparency saying that things that I've done and things that I haven't done or missed out on are truly because of what I have or have not believed about who God is. And that's why it's so important to like you're saying in your book, yes, like be rallied by community and people that can say red flag, not true, but then also by scripture and make sure that, you know, the words of the Lord are written on your heart. So then you can discern for yourself, like, oh, that felt weird. I don't think that that's true for me um, or what the Lord has said about me. And I, I'm just so thankful for these practices because I'm like, where was this book when I was walking through some stuff? Oh. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I think this would be a great gifting book, you know, like if you have a friend that's going through something pretty hard or traumatic or a family member, I think this would be a sweet little love nudge mm. to be basically, you know, here's your tangible yes. hope, <laughs> which was what your friend Sheila Walsh yes, said. Yes, and yeah. you know,
1: I've had a number of people tell me they've received the book as a gift, you know, it's kind of when you don't know what to say oh, and okay. you don't know what to do, you know, you can give a casserole in the book or a bunch of flowers in the book or an encouraging text in the book, you know. Um, And it is something because we want to help people, but so often we don't know what to do when people are going through a rough time. Um, And just saying, I'm with you and I thought this might help is is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm about it. Okay, one more question, just because this is one of my favorite subjects ever, 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 which is kind of where the title of this podcast came to be Behind the Bliss is this whole idea and movement of vulnerability praise God like telling people really truly where you are um, whether it's currently or where you've been and how it's gotten you to where you are and you dive into vulnerability which I love Um, so a very general question but I think it would be cool to go there is how does vulnerability help us breathe again and even breathe more deeply it's a
1: great question because when our world shatters, or even just when we're feeling overwhelmed with a to-do list that's as long as a roll of toilet paper, you know, we kind of shut down. We don't want to tell people we want to appear strong. We want to appear like we have it all together. And even if that's not the case, then we can feel shame. It can feel scary to let people in. And so I really think that as we step out, and we let people in and we, as Brene Brown say, rumble with the story or say the story I'm telling myself. Girl, I, I love Brene Brown I, I want to here. be <laughs> Brene Brown when I grow up. I really do. I really do. I think she's younger than me, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when we do that, we are allowing people in and they can, yes, they can help us. But they can sit in the pain with us. But if they don't know we're in pain, they can't sit in the pain with us. Um, and not every conversation needs to be. Let me share, you know, my inner colonoscopy stories with the mailman. Kind of vulnerability. That's that's oversharing. That's not vulnerability. <laughs> but right.
0: yeah. when we let yeah. people in,
1: I think that sense of, you know. Breathing in, holding it all together, you know, holding your breath can just relax a bit because that's one less thing that we're trying to hold together. We're okay. We're going to be okay. God still loves us. The the people who we share with and the way we share and with God means that we can breathe again. We can breathe in the one who is the breath of life, really. So amazing.
0: Yes. Vulnerability wins always. I'm all about it. And truly, there's been so many times when I've shared something, I feel like came from the deepest, darkest place of my heart. And someone's like, oh yeah, me too. And it just seems so much less of a big deal than I've almost idolatried. Like, what is it? What is the word? Idolatry. Yes. Idolized. Idolized. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And into. Idolized. Why is that so hard for me? It's been made, like, I've idolized it into such a bigger deal because it's sat there and it's like grown and from like, you know, a small little thing to a huge mountain instead of it being like, I need to hand this over to somebody I trust and see what they have to say. And then it would have been squashed in the first place. And I wouldn't have to live with that load or that shame or whatever if I had just been like, I got to be vulnerable. Like, I really got to tell you because I trust you. And who knows? They could have overcome it. So I am – yeah, I'm all about it. We are – we say around here, we're met in our mess. So I'm like, bring your mess to the table. Know that your mess will not last very long. Like there can be a cleanup on aisle 10 for you if you ask for help. But in these moments where you just need to know that like other people are there too or have been there or, hey, Nikki has been there, you can find hope. Like this is very much a possible situation. has brought me so much joy. So I'm glad you got to enter into that joy with me today.
1: Oh, well, thank you. And just to add to that, you know, I do – I think when we sweep our emotions under the carpet, they end up tripping us over. And I talk about how suppressed emotions end up controlling us while expressed emotions can heal and free us. And so that's where the vulnerability comes in. So you're so, so right.
0: I've heard a quote. It goes something like this. I'm probably going to totally mess it up. But it's worrying today does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. So like if you are going through something or worrying or something or have anxiety or whatever it looks like, no matter how big or small, cast your anxieties upon the Lord. So He totally cares for you and, and us. So okay, another really fun question turning turning into a different direction. What are some of the things that you are loving these days that you are maybe reading or listening to or what's on your plate? Just something that you feel like you have to share with the people. Oh, gosh. Well, one thing I'm enjoying doing is
1: launching my kids' back to school. <laughs> it's the end of summer. And hey, I don't yes. know if anyone else is feeling like it's time for school to start. Now our kids, we have two in college. So yeah. one's a, going to be a senior in college and one's going to be a junior in college, no sophomore in college, and then, then junior in high school. So everyone in our house can drive, cook for themselves, wipe their own bottoms, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> and we've had a fantastic summer, but I'm enjoying the process of seeing them launch themselves, which is wonderful. It's not just that I'm looking forward to a slightly calmer house, but um, (laughs) it's just so exciting seeing them become more and more of who God created them to be because they kind of disappeared into a vacuum for a little while when they were teenagers. And um, I see them coming back and it's like, oh, back you're a human again hello I <laughs> and I'm really enjoying that wow so any any um parents of teenagers um who are listening you know you might feel like you don't know your child at the moment but they will come back they <laughs> will come back and you've got littlies you know it's uh it it does get better it does oh get better goodness. so that's one thing I'm enjoying one thing I really enjoyed recently, we went to see the film yesterday. The one about, um, it's set in England, it's very English, but it's set in a world that glitches momentarily. And this chap who's a struggling singer songwriter is the only chap left on earth who remembers the Beatles. The the, the band, the Beatles. (gasps) It's such a genius idea. But then he realizes this, and as a songwriter, just happens to write the song Yesterday and Hey Jude. Um, And it's brilliant and funny, and um, I really enjoyed that. And I'm also really looking forward to the Downton Abbey movie coming out.
0: (laughs) Yes. I figured like all the British things, she's got to bring it. I'm like, what's your favorite tea? I need to know. I mean, we're just going to go there. (laughs) Well,
1: I drink what we would call in England, bog standard builder's tea. So in England, if you have a a plumber or an electrician or anyone come around to your house, you put the kettle on and you make them a cup of tea. And the question isn't, do you want tea? But do you take milk and sugar? And it's just, Plain old English breakfast tea. It's called PG Tips. And I can actually get it in my supermarket here, which is really good news.
0: That is good news. I'm like, what why does that happen in Birmingham, Alabama? I mean, people even rarely offer sweet oh. tea. Like the oh, gold. I, I can't sweet do that. Tea, I'm like, do you want a Gatorade? Oh, yeah. Well, you can buy <laughs> yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. Oh man, we need to bring that culture here. Okay, well, the cool thing, I'm so glad you shared yesterday with me because um in Birmingham we have a movie theater that on every Tuesday night has five dollar movie nights and so that's always like our our cheap date night if we ever just need to get out and do something fun so that's what we're (laughs) doing tonight we're going to a movie so fun to know that yesterday should be on the list of ones we consider we were thinking about Lion King but now I think I needed a show the trailer of yesterday to Thomas and see what he thinks yes
1: see what he thinks I think he might prefer it
0: to the Lion King you're right you're right right. you probably would (laughs) but I am so excited that we just got to chat and that I got a little piece of Nikki and all the really cool things that Mary Scott had to say about you this was so fun and this book is such a blessing so I cannot wait to um, share this with the people so they can get their hands on one of their own
1: oh thank you so much
0: there's a lot of things I want to start doing after today's conversation. One, offer all of my guests tea. Absolutely. Two, I'm definitely going to go see the Downton Abbey movie, but three, I think we're all leaving with those seven key practices that'll help us in any situation we find ourselves in. That might be far from perfect. This makes me want to take a rest and a deep breath, figure out what really makes me happy and thrive in life. I love what she said about thriving instead of just surviving. I think we all need to do that. If you want to access all the things that we talked about in today's episode, head over to our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. Over on our website, you may also find tickets to some of our live events coming up. If you're not familiar, we are traveling to several different locations around the Southeast throughout October and November to bring you a live episode of Behind the Bliss. Yeah, it's for real. We're hoping to gather some of you as our audience for a fun time of food and snacks, vendors, everything a fun girls night would have to offer. And then we're going to be recording a live episode with your help, of course. So if you want to be a part of that experience, be treated to a girls night out, then grab your friends, grab your ticket, and we'll see you there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next week.